recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. It's uh, great to be with you. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially welcome you. Uh, We're glad that you found your way onto our live stream and we pray that this service already has been a great blessing to you and that as we come around God's word that uh, God will really speak to your heart and and encourage you and strengthen you in your faith this morning. And if you're yet to put your trust and your faith in Jesus, well, we're really excited uh, that you've uh, joined our service and we pray and really trust that um, at the conclusion of this service or at any point that you will make the decision to make Jesus your Lord and Savior uh, in light of particularly what Ray was sharing about what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. Well, this morning I'm uh, excited to bring you God's Word and let me just pray and we'll jump straight into it. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. We thank you that there is power in your word. And Lord, as we come around your word, I pray that you will prepare our hearts, that you will open our hearts to receive all that you have for us. That, Lord, you'll help me to communicate faithfully the things that you've put on my heart to share. And, Lord, that this word will be life and joy and peace and blessing to people. That, Lord, you will challenge and encourage and uh, strengthen the faith of your people as we uh, hear and obey your word. Uh, Lord, may our hearts and our lives be transformed by the renewing of our mind and by the power of your spirit at work through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, We have a saying uh, that's kind of gaining popularity. It's GOAT, G-O-A-T, and it represents greatest of all time. You know, we talk about basketball players, sports people, uh, all kinds of different people that are GOATs, the greatest of all time. And it's just got me thinking about this idea of somebody being the greatest of all time. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great for us in, in, in wars and in conflict and in battles to do kind of what they used to do sometimes in the old days of having the greatest champion, the greatest warrior of our armies just go and battle it out and everybody can just sit back and let these two champions go for it. You know, David and Goliath was an example of that. Uh, I think in the movie Troy, Brad Pitt and his opponent was, was like that. And we've seen that you know, in the times of the knights and other places where an army would kind of send their best out there, their champion to do battle. And everybody else just stood there and watched And waited to see what would happen. Just think about, you know, even in modern warfare today and in all the conflicts in the world, wouldn't that be just so great? Think about the lives that would be spared. Think of the countless pain and suffering that wouldn't happen. Think about the millions and millions of dollars that we would not have to waste on submarines, you know, and and other weapons and warfare. It's just two people, and maybe we can just even be a lot more civilized and modernized. We can just get them to play cards. We don't even have to get them to fight. We can just all get them to play chess if we really want it to be about strategy and outthinking each other. Play chess, and then the winner you know, wins and then the, the person who's lost, well, we just kind of give in. Uh, I guess that would work as long as your champion was guaranteed to win. And it just got, got me thinking about this idea of a champion. Wouldn't it be great to have a champion that always went to battle for us, that always went into fight for us and we could just not have to? 
And the good news of the Christian message and the gospel is that we do have a champion. The Bible, one of the ways the Bible describes God is as the warrior king, as the warrior God who goes into battle on behalf of his people. And so this morning, I want to engage with that idea and I want us to consider how we can keep our eyes on our champion, on our hero, as we sang in that first song, the hero of heaven, that we can keep our eyes firmly fixed on our God who is our warrior king and our champion. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we're going to spend our time here. Um, It is a long passage, so I'm not going to read all of it, but we're going to work our way through it and read sections as we come to them. And uh, the reason I wanted to share with you from this passage is that a few weeks ago in our prayer meeting, Michael Joseph shared a brief encouragement and a thought from this chapter, and it really encouraged me, and it really blessed me, and I thought, Gee, I'd love to kind of spend a bit more time uh, kind of thinking and reflecting on this passage. And then uh, I I got the opportunity to preach this morning and I thought, great, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. So thank you, Michael, for uh, sowing that seed uh, in my heart that really encouraged me and that I trust will be a blessing for all of us. So in this passage, uh, there's a, a massive army that's coming against Jehoshaphat and the people of Israel. It's the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the uh, Maonites are all coming to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Verse 1 tells us that. So it was going to be a significant battle and a significant war. But one of the things I love in this passage, and we'll see this, and this is what I really want us to focus on, my message this uh, morning is entitled, Eyes on God, Eyes on God, is how Jehoshaphat, throughout this situation, firmly fixes his eyes on God, on his champion, on his warrior king. And I trust that as we face whatever battles might be ahead for us, as we maybe face the battles that are raging in our lives and in our hearts right now, that there would be encouragement here for us too to keep our eyes on our champion God, on our warrior God. The first thing we we are told uh, in verse 2 to verse 4 is that this was a vast army. Listen to what it says. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is En Gedi. Alarmed, so Jehoshaphat's freaking out as we would, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. A couple of things I want to point out to you from that section. The first thing is that this this was no ordinary threat. It was a vast army. Three different people groups had united against Jehoshaphat. Uh, And so maybe, you know, sometimes we will go through situations and circumstances that might feel overwhelming to us beyond what's normal and notice that throughout this passage three times it mentions the vastness of this army we, we see this again in Jehoshaphat's uh, words in verse 12 um, our God will you not judge them for we have no power to face this vast army and again in verse 15 uh, this is when uh, the prophet now is responding to Jehoshaphat um, he says this is what the Lord says to you do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. And what I want to say to you is that sometimes our situations and circumstances 
might seem really overwhelming to us, but to somebody else, it might not seem like a very, very big deal. And we might be kind of wondering, you know, am I making a bigger deal of something? Am I just overreacting? You know, kind of like how sometimes parents, when their kids fall over and they're kind of crying and they go, oh, you, you're fine. You're okay. That's not a, you know, you'll be fine. That's not a big scratch. I remember, you know, one time uh, when my brother cut his ear up and there was blood everywhere and my dad looks at it and goes, oh, that's just a little scratch. Put a Band-Aid on it. You'll be fine. You know, and, and sometimes we can think like, like that, that maybe God thinks like that about us. But this encourages us that God doesn't belittle our situation. He doesn't make light of our situation. We're told that it was a vast army. Jehoshaphat felt like it was a vast army. And God affirms that and says, yes, it is a vast army. And I want to say to you, no matter what you're going through, and even if you kind of can't see God very clearly through the, the, the crisis you're facing, God sees you. And he acknowledges the reality of what you're facing. He cares for you. He understands the weight of this situation on you. He doesn't belittle it or minimize it. He acknowledges it for what it is to you. And the second thing that we're told about this situation is that it alarmed Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was afraid. That's the way the word is interpreted, alarmed. And we know that because, again, twice in this passage, um, the, the prophet tells Jehoshaphat not to be afraid. Verse 15, do not be afraid or discouraged. And then again in verse 17, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. So again, God doesn't ex, you know, minimize Jehoshaphat's feelings. He validates Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's feelings and says, Jehoshaphat, I know you're afraid. I know you're alarmed, but it's okay. Don't give in to those feelings. Don't let them overwhelm you. Trust in me and find courage in me. And again, I want to say to you, God doesn't minimize how you're feeling, the panic or the anxiety or the worry. Whatever it is you're feeling, God won't minimize them and say, don't, don't, you know, kind of forget those feelings or excuse those feelings. No, he, he acknowledges them and go, yes, I know you're afraid. I know you're concerned and you're worried. I know you're grieving. I know you're sad. I know, I know how you're feeling and it's okay. It's okay. See, our overwhelming circumstances and our overwhelming feelings can take our eyes off our God. We can, we can get so preoccupied and so kind of caught up in how big the army is that's coming against us and how alarmed and fearful we are that we can take our eyes off our Savior and our King. And it reminds me of the story in 2 Kings chapter 6 when again uh, we're told of an army that besieged uh, the city where Elisha and his servant was, um, the Arameans that time. And the servant comes out and he sees this army circling the city and he freaks out. And Elisha comes out and he says, God, will you open his eyes that he can see the armies of heaven? And so God does. And the servant sees beyond this vast army that has circled his city to the armies of heaven that were there defending him. And again, this is what happens here. That Jehoshaphat, in the midst of overwhelming circumstances and overwhelming feelings, is able to keep his eyes on God. Notice that three times we're told what Jehoshaphat does. He, he inquires of the Lord, verse 3. And the people of Judah came together, verse 4, to seek help from the Lord. And again it says, indeed they came from every town in Judah to seek him. 
I want to say to you this morning that you will face overwhelming circumstances. You will face times and seasons where you will be crushed by your feelings of fear and anxiety or worry. And God is okay for you to feel those things and acknowledges the reality of your circumstances. It's what you do with those things. It's what you do at the next point that becomes critically important. And the lesson that Jehoshaphat teaches us is to keep our eyes on God in the midst of all of those things and turn to him in prayer. Seek help from the Lord, inquire of the Lord and seek him. The second principle and second lesson we can learn from Jehoshaphat's experience is that even in his prayer, he keeps his eyes on God. He keeps his eyes on God in his praying. And why is that important? Again, I'm just going to share with you from my personal experience. When, when I'm facing a crisis or a major problem or a vast army, using the language here, I tend to pray more about the problem than my God. I, I tend to bring in my prayer all the things that, you know, about the army, about the problem, about the situation, about the circumstance, that the problem then becomes even bigger and bigger and bigger in my mind. But Jehoshaphat doesn't do that. He, in his prayer, we'll see, he is setting his eyes firmly on his champion. Much of his prayer is more about God than the armies that are coming against him. And there are four things about God that Jehoshaphat prays about. Let's follow along. Then Jehoshaphat stood up, verse 5, in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Jehoshaphat reminds himself and reminds God of who he is in God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. He is all powerful. He is almighty and no one can withstand our God. Verse 7, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name. This is about God's past faithfulness. Jehoshaphat is reminding himself and reminding the Israelites as they face this vast army. Hey, it's God, our our champion warrior God who rescued us from Egypt, who brought us out of Egypt, who brought us into this promised land, who with Joshua and and, and that generation drove out the inhabitants of this land. God, you enabled us to conquer cities and, and defeat people mightier and stronger and more powerful than, than, than we are. God, you are that same God that has been faithful and now has established us in this land and allow us to build a temple in your name. That is the fulfillment of the promises that you gave to David that now we are living in light of, recounting God's past faithfulness. In verse 9, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. This is uh, Jehoshaphat praying about God's promises to them more recently and that God will be faithful in the present here and now to fulfill his word and keep his promises. And he's referring back just a few chapters to 2 Chronicles chapter 6 where Solomon dedicates this temple and he prays exactly this thing. God, whenever we face calamity, when we face armies that come against us, when we face pestilence or famine or any kind of problem, God, when we turn to you and when we call out to you, 
when we pray before this temple and we call upon your name, Lord, we know that you will hear us and you will save us and you will respond. So Jehoshaphat is praying in light of that, that confidence that he had in God's present faithfulness to help. And then he goes on, verse 10, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? So he comes to God on, on the basis of God's justice. And God, he says, God, you see that we spared these people because you told us not to harm them. And now they're, they're, they're betraying that trust. They're coming against us. But God, we, we put our confidence in you because you are just. And we have confidence that you will do what is right. And so you see that he's praying more about who God is than about his problem. And I, one of my favorite statements are right at the end where Jehoshaphat recognizes his inadequacy, uh, inadequacy his insufficiency to, to meet this challenge and that his eyes are on God. He says, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. And I love this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's where my title comes from. But our eyes are on you. Even in his prayer, Jehoshaphat is focused on setting his eyes on his champion warrior God and not on the army that's coming against him. The third uh, lesson I think we can learn here is that Jehoshaphat set his eyes on God even as he stepped forward in faith. Even as he stepped forward in faith. And so in response to Jehoshaphat's prayer, uh, we're told, verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jeel, everyone's son, as he stood in the assembly. And verse 15, he says, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. It's our warrior God. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. These words almost echo exactly what God said to Israel in Exodus 14, 13, as they just left Egypt, and they were facing Pharaoh's army on one side and the Red Sea on the other side, and they were stuck in the middle. The Lord, you will not have to fight. You will stand and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a champion and if I was in a crisis and having to face the vast army and God says to me, you know, don't worry, I've got this. I'm, I'm going to fight for you. I'd be going, great, I'll just stay at home. I'll just kick back. God, you just go. You fight the battle for me. You do what you need to do. And then you come back, give me the victory, give me the spoils, and everything will be great. I'm, I'm more than happy for you to do that. But God doesn't say that. God expects Jehoshaphat to be obedient to him as he faced the battle. As God fought for him, Jehoshaphat still had to keep his eyes on God and step out in faith. There were three things that God asks Jehoshaphat to do. One is to not be afraid. 
do not be discouraged. In other words, if you take Joshua chapter 1, it is to be strong and to be courageous. Here, it's stated in the negative, don't be discouraged and don't be afraid. In the positive, it's be strong and be courageous. And then the second thing he says is, I want you to trust me that I will fight this battle for you. You won't have to fight it. You will stand and see the deliverance of the Lord So keep trusting in me. Trust that I am going to be with you. Verse 17, the Lord will be with you. So trust in me. But they still had to go out. They couldn't stay in the camp. God says to them twice, I want you to go. Tomorrow, verse 16, march down against them. You will not have to fight, but you have to stand. You have to take your position. You have to go out and face your enemy. That is stepping out in faith. That is us trusting in, in, in our God and our warrior and our champion to, to fight for us, but we still have to participate and be obedient to what God is asking us to do. And so maybe right now, that's what God is speaking to you about. You know, as much as we would want to sit back and let God just do his thing and, and be passive and inactive, maybe God is calling on you to step out in faith, to be obedient, to be Be strong and courageous. And I think this is a great description of what it means to step out in faith. Because stepping out in faith will require us to be strong and courageous. To not be afraid. To not give in to our feelings. To not be overwhelmed by our feelings. But to bring them before God. And as, again, Rohan brilliantly encouraged us this morning to remember that God has not given us a spirit of fear. But of love and of power and of self-control. And where we take courage in God and we're strong in him and we're courageous and we trust that God is with us. We trust that God will fight this battle for us, but we still in obedience, we go out. We step out. We go to face our enemy. We take our stand against the enemy. That is what it means to step out in faith. That is what it means, as Jehoshaphat shows us, to keep our eyes on our warrior God, on our champion king. And to step into the battle knowing that he will come through for us. You see, and the, and the profound thing is that Jehoshaphat lived on the back end of the cross. But we live on the other side of the cross. We, we live in the greatest demonstration of God's defeat of the enemy. We live, according to Colossians 1, on the other side of God disarming principalities and powers in the cross. We live on the other side of the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ to the throne that is above every other power and principality, Ephesians tells us, that where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in all glory and authority and power. And so that when Paul says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, that's warrior language, battle language, who can be against us? See, we, we have that confidence. We have that revelation. We have that knowledge that Jehoshaphat didn't. And even without that knowledge, Jehoshaphat could step forward in faith and trust that God would be with him and fight for him. How much more Christian, how much more brother and sister can we have that confidence that our warrior God will fight for us because he has fought for us at the cross when he died and rose again, conquering, defeating death and sin and Satan. That is the assurance that you and I have. When we face our vast army, when we are overwhelmed and alarmed and overwhelmed by fear and discouragement, that we can stand firm and step out in faith as we trust our warrior God who has overcome and triumphed ultimately in the cross of Calvary.
the last principle that I see here is that, that Jehoshaphat was able to keep his eyes on God through worship. Through worship. And I think this is such an interesting and, and powerful principle that we can grab a hold of. Notice what Jehoshaphat, uh, what the Bible tells us in verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. You know what's staggering? Is that God hadn't done anything yet. The, the battle hadn't even been fought yet. They, they hadn't even seen the victory or the breakthrough or the plunder. Nothing had happened yet. But they were so confident in God's faithfulness. They were so confident in God's promises. They were so confident that God would fight for them and God would be with them that they can worship and praise the Lord even before the victory. I think that's such a powerful principle for us right there that Jehoshaphat was able to fix his eyes on God as he worshipped him before God had done anything. But it goes on. Uh, Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, verse 20. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, of, uh, the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Not only is Jehoshaphat praising and worshiping God before the battle, but he's praising and worshiping God during the battle throughout the battle, while they're marching out to face the enemy, while they're going in obedience to God to take up their positions and to stand and see the deliverance of the Lord, they're already worshiping, they're already praising and declaring something that the Old Testament has continually declared. Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. That's covenant language that we see over and over again in the Psalms. His love endures forever. See, they're stepping out in faith They haven't seen the victory, but they have confidence in the God that they are following, that his love will endure forever, no matter what the outcome. And they're declaring that before they've seen anything. And then verse 22 is probably one of the most intriguing verses uh, about worship. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon. Now again, look, I, I don't know about how this worked. You know, with there's two schools of thought, you know, when it comes to worship and people are all on a spectrum. On the one hand, you have people who say, you know, worship should be just about doctrine, just about, you know, teaching us about this, the, the, the character of God. It shouldn't be anything subjective. There's nothing really spiritual going on other than us declaring the truths of God's word. That's one extreme. And the other extreme is that worship almost is what we put our confidence in for our victory. We, we lose sight of the God we're worshiping and we think that worship in and of itself is what is going to bring about the victory for us. And I think either extreme is probably not where we want to be. Clearly, God does something supernatural here as they began to sing and praise. Now, I'm not sure how those two things work, but somehow the singing and the praising of God was the means of grace that God used to bring about this victory. But I want to say clearly to us, praise and worship is not the answer. 
Jesus is. Praise and worship is not the warrior. Our God is. And what praise and worship does, I think personally from my experience, is get me to lift my eyes to my God who is my Savior. And yet in the midst of that, God does something supernatural here. God does something that I don't see happening too many times in Scripture. And again, in my circumstances and my situations and maybe in yours, you've seen God do things that you just go, I would not have seen that coming. I don't understand how that happened. I don't understand, God, how you brought that victory. I don't understand, God, how you made a way through. God, I don't get it, but thank you that you did. So I can't explain this to you. I can't give you a reason how this happened, but the Bible tells us that it did. And so I want to say to you that praising and worshiping God is powerful as long as it takes us to keep our eyes on Him and not put our trust in our praise and in our worship. Then we go on. Verse 26, on the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka where they praised the Lord. They're praising God before the battle. They're praising God throughout the battle. And they're certainly praising God at the end. It says in verse 24, when the men of Judah came to the place, They overlooked the desert and they looked toward the vast army. There it is again. They saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men men went to carry off their plunder and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. Friend, I want to tell you, when God gives victory, he gives it in abundance. When God gives plunder and when God triumphs, oh my goodness, it's just there's plunder, there's spoil, there's good blessing and abundance everywhere. That is who our God is. And Jehoshaphat and the people's response is to praise God. And I want to say to you, friend, when God answers your prayer, when God moves, when God does miracles, Let's be a community that testifies. Let's be a community that declares it. Let's be a community that is eager to get up and tell everybody, let me tell you what my God did for me. Let me tell you about how God moved in my life. Let me tell you about the breakthrough and the victory that God brought about in my life. And be quick to give God praise and God glory and God honor. Because Jehoshaphat is keeping his eyes firmly fixed on his God through worship. Through worship. Last thought as I close. Ephesians 1 is probably our spoils and, and plunder passage. When you read that passage, Paul can't help himself. It's like that, where Paul is just reflecting on the cross and reflecting on the plunder and the spoils that have come as a result of the cross. And he lists all these things that God has done for us in the cross, that we are forgiven, that we're reconciled, that we have peace with God, that we're adopted into God's family, that we have eternal and eternal inheritance, that our hope is secure. It just goes on and on and on. It's a hymn of praise to God for all that he has accomplished for us in the cross. And I want to say to you, Christian, that even if God gives us no other victory in the rest of our lives, we ought to have no end of time to praise God for the victory that he's given us in the cross, for the plunder and the spoil and the reward and the inheritance and the abundance that we have in the, in the forgiveness of our sins and in the joy of being brought into his family. And so, friend, I want to say to you, I don't know what you're going through right now. You might be facing a vast army and you might be overwhelmed. But can I encourage you, fix your eyes 
on our warrior God. Fix your eyes on our champion. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the cross and the the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. That he's seated at the right hand of Almighty God. He is sovereign. He is faithful. He has made promises to be with us and never leave us. He is going to come through in power and glory. And he has already accomplished so much for us on the cross. So much for us to worship him for. And whether we're on the front end of our battle, whether we're right in the middle of our battle or whether we've come through the other side and we're at the end of our battle, let's be people that keep our eyes on our God as we worship and we praise Him. And so we're gonna conclude this service in worship. We're gonna conclude by fixing our eyes on God, on giving Him glory and on giving Him thanks for His goodness and His faithfulness. And I pray that as we do that, that you will be encouraged to keep your eyes on Him no matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through, that he will come through for you as he has always done and as he always will. Why don't you bow your head and just take a moment to reflect on these truths as I pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Worship you. Our great, mighty, awesome, and powerful warrior God. We come before you in awe of you. And we declare that you are awesome and great and mighty. That you are faithful. That you are just. That we can be secure in your love. That we can take great comfort in knowing that you are for us and you are with us. And Lord, I pray for every individual who's listening, who's watching, whether they know you or they don't. Father, in whatever circumstance and situation they find themselves, that Lord, this message, this word would have encouraged them this morning to lift up their eyes and to see the armies of God, to see you as our warrior king fighting for us, that you are for us and you've ultimately displayed that at the cross that you are for us. And Lord, that because you've done that and you've raised Jesus and enthroned him, that we can have confidence in every other battle we face, that you are fighting for us, that you will go before us and that you are with us. And Lord, I pray for those who have been feeling in their heart the challenge to step out, to be obedient, to be strong and to be courageous and to trust that you are with them and fighting for them and to face their enemy, to be obedient, to go out into the battle arena, whatever that might look like and whatever that might involve, that Lord, you will give them the courage and the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit, the spirit of love and power and self-control that we've heard about this morning, to stand firm and to see your deliverance, Lord. I pray that you will move mountains, that you will do amazing things and that, Lord, as a people, we will testify and give you praise and thanks because you're a good and faithful God. And Lord, as we conclude our service in song and declaration of praise, may you take joy in our song. May you be exalted and lifted up and glorified as we joyfully, Lord, whether we're at the front end, the middle end or the back end of the battle that we're facing, that Lord, we would lift up a song of praise to you because you are good and your love endures forever. You will always be worthy of glory. We give it to you, Lord, in Jesus' name.
you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.